As gyms reopen, we're finding a percentage of members who are literally lining up to get back, but some just aren't comfortable yet, and still others have found the convenience of training at home. The big question is how can this new hybrid fitness business model be leveraged to evolve the fitness business as we know it and create new opportunities? Find out as I talk to industry icon Shannon Fable about the hybrid future of fitness. Fitness is not coming back like you knew it four months ago. It is forever changed. I don't care if there is a vaccine, fitness ain't going back because by the time it does, consumer behavior will have changed so much that they don't want the product that you used to provide. Or two, wherever you go back to work, they will have had to change the product because their business model isn't working anymore. I'm Fraser Quelch, and this is a TRX Procast, where we chat with the most iconic leaders in fitness to get the inside track on what it takes to thrive and succeed in the ever-changing landscape of fitness, business, training, and life. It certainly was not something that I set out to do, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I fell into fitness. Um, I was actually a ballerina that danced with the Joffrey Ballet when I was 12 and got told I wasn't going to get very far because I was going to be short. So they kicked me out of that development program, and I thumbed my nose at them and went into cheerleading because that is like every ballerina's worst nightmare is that someone turns into a cheerleader. And uh, that took me into college on a D1 scholarship at the University of Florida where I cheered for four years for football and basketball and fell in love with training. I had never trained before until I got there. And it's not so much of a joke, but I say it tongue in cheek because I have plenty of years of therapy to get over it. But I went from an eating disorder in college because we were weighed in. So I had an eating disorder that I turned into an exercise disorder, quite honestly, after college because I found out eating was really fun. Ended up on a stair climber, you know, 90 minutes at a time. I'm like, I can't do this forever. There's not enough TV to watch, you know, wasn't back when we had Netflix. So I stumbled into the group fitness studio and my love of dance and cheerleading and music came together in that room and started taking step aerobics back in the day. And I just knew that I could do it. So I had a tape of my bag ready for the day that the person didn't show up. And um, the rest is history. I I ended up uh, finding Melissa Lane, who I know you know. She was the manager of all of the clubs where I took class and she ran a mentoring program, which gosh, mentoring. Thank goodness for that back then. There was no real other way to learn how to become a fitness professional, but she taught a weekend course that taught you how to become an instructor, helped you study for the exam, and then, yeah, kind of helped you get into the world of fitness, and I I was just, I, I ended up in a lot of really cool places, but yeah, stumbled into teaching classes and eventually became a personal trainer and then explored every nook and cranny of the business because I was in love with what it was about, what it was for, and what it could do uh, for people. Well, I mean, that's really, really cool because first of all, I knew about the cheerleading thing and the University of Florida thing, but I didn't know you started off as a dancer. That's very, very cool. Everybody's got some stuff like that. And when you say you went on to do everything, I think you're being really modest. So I want to just make sure I call it out for everybody who's on a call who may not be as familiar with, with your stuff as, as I am. But like you started off in that club, like you described, but you've been a fitness personality. You're currently, when I say fitness personality, that's understating it. One of the fitness personalities, you've been the 2013 idea and the 2006 ACE instructor of the year, uh, which is both of those things are, are huge accolades. You're currently an ACE board member. You're on the advisory board for the Association of Fitness Studios. You're the co-creator and founder of Group Expo Fitness, which is a business software for fitness specifically. Uh, you're a fitness business programming, well, fitness business and programming consultant, having worked with some of the most recognizable brands. And basically presenter, publication contributor, and all around amazing person. So when you say you went out and sort of dabbled in all of these things, your dabbling is a pretty high level. So I think it's really exciting. Well, thank you. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I, I wanted, I started in group fitness, quickly went into personal training. And then I, I loved the business side of it too. And I knew that if I wanted to get anywhere and be respected in the world that I needed to see more than just 
my part of the ecosystem, if that makes sense. And I know I didn't want to excel at every part of the fitness industry, but I wanted to work behind the front desk. I wanted to be a personal training manager, a group fitness manager. I wanted to sell gym memberships. I wanted to see what that whole life was like inside the club. And then it made all these opportunities outside the club, like you said, in consulting and programming and speaking and writing, just more robust because I wasn't just speaking from my point of view. I, I truly was... Um, that was the journalist in me. That's what I started out as a journalism major in school. Um, I needed to see the whole piece to be able to report on it accurately. And it yeah. definitely has uh, shown me some paths that I don't think most people see when they get into the business as an instructor, as a trainer. So you're talking about transitions, really, and, and not just transitions, because it's not like you were transitioning from one thing on a, to another. You were more bolting on and then bolting on again and then expanding out. Uh, and that's a tremendous amount of change of evolution. So tell me a little bit about like, what's your personal approach to evolution and change? Because you've experienced so much of it and really led a lot of it. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear, yeah, like how you approach that as an individual. Sure. I think two things. One, I know that the only thing consistent in life is that there is change. And the minute that you accept it and provide yourself some space and grace around that concept like it's just like right now right none of us have a crystal ball to see what's going to happen because of this pandemic and I think people that try too hard to figure out what's next get paralyzed in the in the current instead of looking towards the future so I guess that's number one is just my personal belief is that there's nothing more consistent than change and you have no idea how to predict the future. So you have to prepare yourself. So that leads to the second piece, which I guess is even more important to me. I am at the epicenter of my career. I am at the epicenter of what I want to do. I'm in control. And as long as I know who I want to serve and what I want to help them do or what I'm most positioned or poised to help them do, then no matter what happens in the future or changes, I'm going to find a way to do those two things. So I think if, if anyone listening, like if you can clearly identify, like these are the people I was put on this earth to help, this is what I can do best for them, then it doesn't matter what the vehicle for serving those people becomes and you just kind of find your way to make it happen. I hope that makes sense, but that's my personal belief in how to deal with all the changes. No, I think that's really interesting, but tell me, I want to back up a little bit because something you just said was really interesting. How how do you find that or discover what is the discovery process of figuring out who, who am I meant to serve? There's a whole lot of different people to serve. Like, what am I meant to do? I mean, that sounds like that would be a esoteric kind of crazy question, but even I'm sure that the people that you envisioned, I'm sure that you what you just articulated there, I'm sure wasn't in your mind when you started. So what, what's the process to, to getting there? I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and I'll start by saying that can change over time. Of course, yeah. Your target market is and who you think you were meant to serve or what you think you can do best for them. But I'd say, you know, I think, and, and I'm going to relate it specifically to fitness. I think we all get into fitness and we follow what I call fitness folklore. We look at people that have come before us and we just take the path that they've taken. We assume that that is the career path. That's the way you have to approach it. That's what you have to do. And that locks us into a mindset where it's very hard to see other opportunities. So that's one of my first tenets. The second one being kiss a lot of frogs. I mean, like you said, a lot of people look at all the things that I've done and they're like, wow, career hopping. I'm like, no, I was just trying to find out, is it that I like to teach more than I like to train? Is it that I like the people that show up in the group fitness studio more than the people that come to me one-on-one? -on -one? Is it that I like to be presenting and teaching people how to teach more than I like the people that I actually teach? But I had to try on all those different things before I could really narrow down what my through line was, if that makes sense. So I am all about like explore just because I started teaching step aerobics. You know, I very quickly did lots of formats. Like we talked about, took on lots of different opportunities to see what worked. And I'm not afraid to start it and quit it when it doesn't work. And I think that's the other thing we do a lot of times in fitness is we take anyone with a pulse and a paycheck. We keep them on our book of business until they cancel us instead of us canceling them. And then we wonder why we're so burnt out, tired, not motivated, et cetera. But you can't really find yourself if you keep just taking on anything that's thrown your way. So I don't know if that specifically answers your questions, but I think through kissing a lot of frogs, 
trusting my gut when I needed to say no and turn, whether it was a week into a job or relationship and opportunity or three, five, four, six, seven years into a relationship or opportunity, just trusting my gut that it was or wasn't right. And then trying to lots of reflection, right, of, of going, okay, what about that project made me happy? Was it the work? Was it the people? Um, what does this have? Uh, how is this related to this other thing that I did that I liked? What's the through line? And that's when I finally realized, like, I truly was put on this earth to help fitness professionals make more money. And that comes in lots of different ways. But everything that I do kind of funnels into, you know, under that. But it, it took a lot of reflection, a lot of kissing, a lot of frogs. Well, and really, you can't really help fitness professionals as a whole make lots of money until you've kind of walked in their shoes, you know, like, I mean, had you not had all of those experiences where you were, because it's something you said earlier, like getting to a point where you can, you know, get rid of a client before they get rid of you. I mean, I'm sure there's some people listening who's like, Oh hell no, I can't afford to get rid of any clients. I just lost half of them. Right. So like the whole idea of getting rid of people is like, yeah, that's nice to say you got to get to a point because I know in my own personal training career, like I had to get to a point where I was like, yeah, you know what? You and I aren't a good match. Like I'm not here to provide you with all of the energy that you require to do this set. You got to bring some of your own. I can be a force multiplier, but damn. <laughs> right. Well, and we're going to get into this about, I'm, I'm super excited about how the industry is changing because I don't think in today's environment, let me back up yesterday's environment because it's not today's environment. I don't think we had permission to say no to clients because if you were like me as a personal trainer, you walk into the personal trainer office every day and there's a whiteboard with your name on it in order of what's your goal and what's your, you know, what's your gross this month. And so you did need to take everyone with a pulse and a paycheck until you got overbooked. But when I, I went through this business apprenticeship with Michael Port and it was, um, the guy that wrote book yourself salad and I became a book yourself salad coach underneath him. One of the first ones, because it spoke to me so much at that moment I was, and I had, I had bypassed being a personal trainer with clients, not bypassed, but I'd moved on to being a person that consulted people in that role. Right. And I was in a consulting contract that I was making more money than I ever had before in my life, but I hated my life. I hated my work. I didn't enjoy it at all, but it was the most money I'd ever made. So to your point, even though I'd reached this place in my career where I felt like I could call the shots, I still was stuck in a really bad relationship. And then I had other little relationships that were okay, but not making enough money. And, and in this apprenticeship, I won't tell you how much I paid to do this thing with him. I was being paid to be uh, abused, not abused. <laughs> I understand completely, yeah. To do, paying to do hard work and on one of our phone calls he he had this concept called you know dump your duds and he's like you have to get rid of this client and i'm to your point i was like um but that pays my mortgage and he's like but here's the thing when you're doing work that drains you and sucks you dry you're not doing your best work and if you're not doing your best work people aren't talking about you doing your best work and if people don't talk about you doing your best work you don't get more work so at some point, and yes, you can loosen and tighten the reins pursuant to how much money you need to make and where you are in your career, but you have to have that mentality and flip that switch and go, you're right. Because I mean, I'll tell you, he would not continue mentoring me until I got rid of this client. It was hard. But the minute that I did all of these other things that actually were what I was meant to be doing, Anytime Fitness was one of my smaller clients at the moment. And I wasn't doing good work for Anytime because I was so consumed with this crappy work mm -hmm. that... Um, it flipped a switch. And so I, I, I lead with that in my life that you can't always do it, right? Like I'm not saying go be destitute until you can, ah, you know, manna from heaven, it's going to come down. But, um, but there is something to be said, working from a place of abundance versus scarcity. And I think a lot of trainers and fitness professionals operate from a place of scarcity. There are more than enough people to go around that need our help. <laughs> and now with, you know, our shackles, off. I mean, I truly believe that COVID has unshackled us to what we used to believe was the business of fitness. And you can reach more people in so many more ways. I do think you're going to have more of an opportunity to dump your duds when it doesn't feel right and find 17 people to replace them. So that's, that's a perfect segue into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was, so as a consultant, you're seeing everything, right? At, at all the different levels. Uh, traditionally, when I say traditionally, I mean like three, four months ago, 
What do you think are the greatest challenges that fitness businesses, fitness professionals were grappling with in terms of making their business run? COVID? Um, Pre-COVID, I believe that people were insistent on building a better mousetrap, better products, better programs, better pricing strategies, better marketing, but we were still working in the same confines. We weren't really changing the game. We were just modifying and putting different bells and whistles on it. Now, there was a disruptor coming for us, and that was digital, but to some degree, a lot of fitness professionals were still burying their head in the sand. One, because they weren't going out and exploring what other people were doing with digital. They were just looking the other way and going, but that's not what I do. Now, just before you go on, when you say digital, I want to define exactly what you mean by digital because there's, it's expanding now. And I think it's, it's key that we kind of like put, put things, out, not a label so much, but just define it to some extent. There's three different kinds, right? So there's live streaming opportunities where you can still participate with me live. I can train you live or teach you live online. That's one form of digital. We can also do on-demand. I either have a library of exercises or a library of workouts that you can consume or training virtually, uh, Excel spreadsheets, applications, et cetera. Yeah, so there's a lot in this whole like digital ecosystem over here, right? But I don't even know that I'm so glad you asked that because I think prior to COVID, fitness professionals didn't dig that deep into stratifying what was happening in digital. They just dismissed it as that's not IRL. That's not in real life. And if I am not standing next to you, counting your reps and picking up your weights and touching you and doing your form and motivating you close to you in proximity, then it's not a good, it could never replace the experience I'm providing you. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and we went, oh, well, yeah, it might not be, but it's not there anymore. So we started looking at what was happening. Um, so I think, you know, prior to COVID, it, it, trainers just, we kind of rested on our laurels that what we brought to the table face-to-face -face could not be replaced. And I'm here to say that is 100% true. There's nothing that compares to a room with an instructor or a trainer, nothing, nothing. But it doesn't mean that it's the only product. And it doesn't mean that every potential client or consumer of that product needs you in real life at the beginning. We all have our own zones of competency. So I, I think we were all just kind of dismissive of this disruptor that was coming. We were ignoring it. We were dappling in it a little bit. Um, but we were just busy trying to build a better mousetrap. Right. And, and I think a lot of fitness professionals were in competition with each other because we truly were going after the same 15%. So I needed to do it better, different, less expensive, et cetera. And then COVID just blew it all out of the water, which for the first six to eight weeks, it made me really happy because all of a sudden we were all in the same boat, supportive and, and looking at, all right, we got to do this different. So I think that was a long-winded way of answering your question. But, but I think, yeah, we were just plagued by how, how do we make more money in the same amount of time doing the same thing with enhanced products and ways to sell and market. Okay, so that's that sounds like you know those are some of the the, the challenges which I asked you. But tell me about what what are some of the advantages of that live in person model? Because it's obviously worked for a really long time, and people are really married. And then we'll talk in a minute about some of the resistance that you know. And we've got a funny story I think together about some of that. But I mean, so what are the advantages of that live model? Yeah, and I'm going to continue to call it IRL in real okay. life. Um, because you can still have live. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think IRL, there's a sense of accountability. My husband would tell you, I didn't, not me, he did not work out for three months because making an appointment to show up in a place where someone is expecting him is his motivator right now. He's still extrinsically motivated. He needs that accountability. So I'd say that's one for a lot of clients. That is true. I need to put it on my schedule and I need to show up there. That kind of goes into the second piece where if I show up at a place, I'm more likely to turn off my distractions, focus on it for the 30, 45, 60 minutes that I've got, get something out of it, and move on. And then I'd say three is the in-the-moment feedback that you get from a professional. Not that you can't get that live on a screen, depending on what technology you're using, but it is so much easier to be standing in front of you while you're doing squats or lunges and be able to make an adjustment right then, and then you do it, and then you say yes or no and, and provide you really good coaching uh, to get what you need out, out of the exercise experience. Those to me would be the three. I mean, a lot of people will say the motivation's not the same if you're not in the room, but a really 
good motivator can do it to the camera just as well as they can um, in real life. But I, I'd say those are the three things. Yeah, accountability, less distraction, and needing that, you know, immediate feedback from a professional to get the best exercise experience. Sure. And if you could count in part of that, I think it's probably all of the toys to play with and having a broad, you know, broad group of things because not everybody's totally dialed up in their, in their home gym. You know, they've got a limited, whereas in a gym environment, there's nothing you can't do, which is exciting for the most part. So now as we start to shift, so there's some advantages and disadvantages of the, of the traditional business model. And then here's where, here's where the change starts to get in the shift that people are starting. So there's advantages and disadvantages with this whole virtual or digital model uh, as well. Can, can you like, what was you look at digital, which when I've been kind of myself, I've been saying it as digital, in my view, we've always had digital. We've had digital since VHS tapes sure. um, because you know, we, that was our, our ability to take someone, plug it in and have a non-interactive experience virtual in my mind, which is part of digital, that's where you talk about that live experience, but through a screen. And technology has now got to the point where we're Star Trek, we can have this conversation on different parts of the continent, which is really exciting. And so it's opened up all of these advantages. So we think about this virtual digital world, there's some advantages to the business model, there's some disadvantages to it too. Can you comment on kind of what you see yeah. from that perspective? Yeah, and I, I, I want to start with an overarching statement, then I'll, I'll talk advantages first. I think the one thing I want to make sure fitness professionals hear, digital or virtual, whichever way you want to classify it, it is not for everyone. There's a specific skill set that enables you to be effective in the virtual world. And you and I both had to learn it, filming videos a long, a long time ago. So I think we were a step ahead of it. So we already, we were a foot ahead or a step ahead because we could embrace it because we'd learned the skills you needed to be just as effective. So I, I want to make sure that's a, that's a truth. And, and, and I hate that. I feel like a lot of fitness professionals are coming to me right now saying, but like, it's not my love. It's not my heart. I'm not good at it. I don't know. So I do believe that it's not for everyone. However, until you kiss that frog and give it a shot and get some feedback from people and get good tips and learn how to do it. And there's soon to be way more resources to help you do that. Right. Cause we didn't have to teach everyone how to, how to deal in the virtual world. So, Set that aside. I think the biggest advantage to tiptoeing into this digital space is the, and I said it earlier, the ability for you to reach more people. You are not going to be stifled by, do they belong to the gym where you've decided to be employed? Or if you work by yourself, are they in your geographic location and will they stay there? You are no longer encumbered by their work schedule or their commute schedule or anything else. I mean, it just, it opens it up and it's been so fascinating to watch during COVID. As much as there were a lot of people that stopped exercising, there were a lot more that picked it up because all of a sudden they had extra free time and they were bored. <laughs> so they gave it a shot. That's number one. I, I think the advantage is the access that we have if you can figure it out. Two, and this is sometimes hard for fitness professionals to understand, right along with that access, I believe that there is an opportunity to capture an, someone that doesn't have as much movement literacy <laughs> as the person that's willing to come to the gym. And this is even bigger than just access because of proximity or time constraints, that type of thing. And what I mean by that is it's no secret there are some people that are terrified to come into a gym. We don't like to think of that as fitness professionals because we're odd right? Like we've moved our whole lives. That's why we fell into this job one way or another. Either we were called to it to study it or we were doing it and it became their professional. Um, I like to move. I'm not afraid to look like an idiot when I try something new because I know I'm coordinated and eventually I will get it or I will try something different. <laughs> but my self-esteem, my ego aren't tied up in it where someone like my mom she doesn't want to go be bad at something in front of someone that she paid for it. And I tell the story right now of my neighbor who um, doesn't exercise. I've invited her to exercise with me everywhere in this town. And she won't. She won't even walk in the neighborhood with someone else. And, you know, there's all kinds of excuses. She can unpack that herself. But the minute I invited her to a virtual class that a studio I belong to was doing that did a community class, and she went, can I turn off my camera? I said, yep. Can I quit in the middle if it's too hard? Yep, she did. 
And she only did it for 10 minutes, but nobody had to know she did it for 10 minutes. No one called her out. No one said anything. So, so sometimes it's like flipping the advantage that we think we have in IRL, which is, but I can help you and I can make sure you've got good form and I can motivate you and I can make you work harder than you would work on your own is the exact reason why people don't come to us. So that for me just shows so much possibility to become this empowered fitness professional where we're walking beside someone rather than being the sage, wise woman or man on the mountaintop, dragging them up to meet us. You know, all of a sudden, we're just opening a world up to people that can hopefully potentially find the joy in movement instead of the chore of exercise. And, and I think that's really cool. The last thing I'd say is anyone can hang up their sign and become a business and be in charge of their own career and advocate for themselves because the risk is so low if you get into digital. Where, you know, going and open a studio and trying to become the next Todd Durkin is like for most people, it's super high, crazy, or even Amy, right? Like opening her own studio. How long did it take for her to be able to do that? You can hang up your banner tomorrow and start for 150 bucks, right? It's just, it's so low risk. So um, those are my three big advantages of this, this digital phenomenon that's happening. And, and I hope fitness professionals will get excited about those opportunities. Because if you are truly in this business to get people moving, that would excite you. If you were in this business because you like to move, <laughs> it's very different. So yeah, those are the three things that get me excited. Well, one of the things you said that struck me, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had this conversation. I'm interested to hear what you say of, oh, I'm going to come to the gym. I just, I got to get in better shape first. Yeah. And that's probably, and that's one of the most common conversations I've ever had with someone who I was, you know, trying to lure into an environment where I thought I could do some good and, and where they would be, feel some success. And always it's like, yeah, I just, I got to get it. I got to, I got to do a little bit of work first and then I'll come in. And that speaks to that whole idea you just talked about of, I'm not comfortable. I want to turn off my camera. I don't want to look like an idiot in front of other people. I'm already, they're not saying this to themselves, but I'm already kind of self-conscious. I'm comfortable with my own skin. I don't think I can handle getting beat down even further than right. I am. And so, I mean, what you're saying opens it up. So with, with all of these advantages, and I'll, here I'll tell our story, but there was a, there were, you had a, this incredible post on your LinkedIn page a few weeks ago, and, and there was an incredible amount of interaction with it. Um, you know, some of it positive, and then Preach On Sister, and some others that were surprisingly, I don't know if resistant is the right word. I'll let you come up with the right word. But, but tell me a little bit about, like some of it, um, some of it was, was almost comical in a way, kind of sad another, but like just that, I don't want this to be. Um, can you explain kind of the mindset behind any of that and maybe where some of those concerns or what, what, what they're seeing? I hope so, because I, I try very hard to not be antagonistic. And I, and I told you when we <laughs> this, I was like, I had no idea this LinkedIn post would get 15,000 views and be so, like, I mean, it created such controversy. Um, my statement, throughout this time and even before COVID was digital virtual represents an and mentality versus an or, or it should. That's what I see. I, I see this as a plus plus, not that someone has to choose between in real life and virtual, but that they are both there. And, you know, like you said, there are going to be some people that will, ne my husband will never, ever do virtual. If live goes away, if our little studio ever goes away, he will never exercise again and there's nothing that's going to change his mind. But there are other people like me who I embraced the digital while we were shut down and probably exercised more and with more intent and more variety and did things that my body was craving that I had never done before. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are in the middle. They're going to go, great. I want to go to the gym one day a week and get that in real life interaction, the, you know, what I get from um, being around people and the motivation and I work harder, whatever it is, but then I'm going to supplement it with these digital options. And, you know, this post was just exposing the and versus or, and to your point, you know, I call it myopic thinking or thinking from your worldview. In these people's worldview that were pushing back, that couldn't even see that my post said and not or like 
your thing's not going away, this thing's not going away, this is fantastic for all of us. They're holding on so tightly to what their worth is in this fitness world that they can't, again, I go back to the scarcity model versus this abundance model. Like, there is room for every fitness radio station. <laughs> There's not a shortage of people that need our work. Every person on the planet needs movement. So if you are the deliverer of movement opportunities, you are needed and necessary, not just needed, but you're necessary. But we have to have lots of ways that that is served up, lots of ways that people can consume it. And we need to put, just like I'm saying, the fitness professional should be at the epicenter of their career or their path or their world as a professional. We have to become a, we have to, we have to start seeing the consumer being at the epicenter of their health and well-being. And they should be able to choose all of the things that make sense and not just have to be gone are the days that we are going to have consumers that are dedicated just to Fraser, right? They are going to want you. Those days will never be gone, Shannon, never. Um, maybe not. You're, you're the anomaly. Um, but, you know, I mean, that, that was the rise of the studio, too, when the multi-purpose health clubs couldn't understand. But why would you want to go to a studio that only has bites when you've got all this? And it's like, well, because I want to customize it, I want to do cycling and they are good at cycling and I want to do this and they're good at this. And, and so I don't know, I, I just, I, I feel like I, I go back to it. I think it's people that operate from a place of scarcity, not abundance. They don't think there's enough to go around. And it, the other thing I would say is they just don't open themselves up to other worldviews. And that's tough for fitness professionals. I mean, the first thing I did when this digital revolution was happening was bought a Peloton, bought a mirror. I'm like, I need to see what's going on. Like, why, why are people engaging with this? Because you know me, like I'm the biggest class snob there is. I've taught group fitness for 25 years. I do not want to go take someone else's class mm -hmm. um, because I'm scared of not liking the experience and being stuck in a 60 minute experience. And, you know, when I bought the Peloton and started playing with it and now I just got the mirror two days ago and started playing with it. I don't know. It just opens and it, it goes back to why I said I did all those jobs in fitness too. Like I knew I wasn't going to like doing all of them, but I needed to experience it if I was going to be able to talk authentically about what needs to happen both, you know, for the consumer and for the professionals. So long-winded answer, but yeah, go read the post. It was highly entertaining. So it was. When you talked and you, you touched on it, like one of the things is feeling of scarcity that business is going to go away. What were the major concerns of the people that were, were you know, because mm. there were some folks that spoke strongly. I know one of them was retention, like, you know, like how are we going to retain people in this sort of environment? Maybe you can expand on some of the other concerns and then talk about, you know, like, um, yeah, what, what your what your thoughts are. There was a lot about fear of quality of content, and to me that that's a that's a conflated argument because you can have a great experience in real life or a crappy experience in real life, and you can have a great, you know, experience digital or a bad one virtually. Um, there was a lot of talk around, but if I can't see you, I can't fix your form. If I can't see you, I can't help you do the exercises better. And again, I, I don't see that. I don't see that as my worth in real life. Does that make sense? And and, and I don't know how to articulate this to fitness professionals, but I say a lot in my lectures, like my business lectures, if you think that your knowledge of fitness is your unique selling proposition, then you have missed the memo. Because yes, in 1999, when I started being a personal trainer, I knew how to work the machines, I knew how to perform a squat, and there was no one else that could tell you that. You didn't have Google, you didn't have Alexa, you couldn't ask anyone else. Like, and people didn't exercise right? It was a very small percentage of people that did personal training, even smaller subsection of people that would strength train on their own, right? And all of a sudden, like we're still, I, I talk about that fitness folklore, like we are still holding on to that our, our IRL advantage is that we know more about exercise than you do and you need me because I'm the professional. And I just don't think the consumer sees it that way anymore. It, it, they just don't. And we can compare the merits of what we know because we're certified versus what the Instagram person knows. But when we raise that red flag, the, un the unintended consequence of that for someone like my mom is she goes, oh, wait, so now I've got to be skeptical about the people I'm getting fitness advice from? Right. Why do it at all? Yeah. I'm out. So that was one of it. Retention was another. And um, the other is 
they talked, I guess I could sum it up with the accountability piece. Like people are, just aren't motivated enough to work out at home. They say they're going to do it, but they're not. And that speaks to this whole other thing we're probably not going to get into, but that is a lack of understanding that we need to, we are not just fitness professionals. We need to understand behavior change and not just behavior change, but sustainable behavior change. And if I am a good fitness professional, I should be able to empower you to work out and become motivated for yourself, intrinsically motivated to exercise, drawn to exercise, find the joy of movement. You should not be dependent on me to get fit. I always, and this is why I almost got fired from Crunch in 2002. <laughs> They're like, well, you've got to make them want you. I'm like, but I actually want them to graduate from me because if I'm doing my job, they should want to and know enough to be able to do this by themselves. And if I'm doing my job, they will be empowered to do it on their own, but they'll still want to stay with me because of something else intangible that I give them that they can't put their finger on. And I think that's the giant shift that's going to happen in our industry is people are not going to come back because you know exercise. They are going to come back to something because of the community, the way you make them feel, the relationship you have with them. And that's all people. It's not science. It's an art, not science. And experience. And to that point, you probably noticed that I, I, was, uh, I was exposed to it, I think, just two weeks ago. I thought it was fascinating that the um, average weeks that a um, weeks of retention, basically, like the lifespan of a member in a, in a standard health club is 20 weeks. They buy a buy membership, they last for, for oh, sorry, oh, sorry, I'm, not, I'm wrong, 20 months. Okay. 20 months, right, so a couple years. Uh, not 20 weeks. I misspoke. Guess how long it is in Peloton? What is it? It's 67. Months? That's what they're now. They actually, I mean, they haven't been around for 67 months yet, but that's what their statistics are showing them as they, as they go look it out. 67 months of retention. I was, a, that, that one totally blew me away. I've done some lectures since COVID online about what has Peloton taught us. And I mean, you can shake your head all you want. You can talk about whether or not you like their programming or their approach. Their formula is what the average consumer needs. And when I say the average consumer, I'm not talking about someone that's looking for fitness or right, a program or anything. Someone that's like, I know I need to get healthy. I know I need to move my body. I have zero clue what to do. I'm not going to do They have got the formula figured out. And instead of turning your head away from it and poo-pooing it, like you've got to look at it and go, what are they doing? And don't look at it as competition. Like I don't look at Peloton as competition for an in-person trainer or instructor, not at all. But there are things that we can learn from them and incorporate in our IRLs that would make us more successful. I mean, part of it is the timing. I'll tell you the best thing that I love about Peloton is if I walk downstairs and I am not feeling like I want to work out, I pop on a 15 minute workout. At the end of the 15 minutes, if I feel good, guess what I do? 15 more. But instead of going to a gym and I'm locked into 60 minutes with Brazier, I'm locked into a 60 minute cycling class or a 45 minute cycling class, right? Like it's just, it's self-filling prophecy too. And um, I mean, I could go on and on about how in love I am with what they do and how they do it. Um, I don't think it replaces live. I'm still going live to a gym down the street. I get different things from the experiences, but that's why I say the and versus or, right? There's something about going to my community, being with these coaches that I love, that love me, with the people that I train with, and having access to toys and motivation to do better because I'm on stage and I'm in competition with everyone, even though you're not supposed to know that, like I will compete with you. And then at home, it's just a different experience, right? So I'll stop. I'll let you ask the questions. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, uh, this is a conversation. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's all, yeah, it's, 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 it's all part of it. It's awesome. So earlier when we were talking, you said that, um, you know, like, Hey, it's got the lowest, lowest barrier for entry ever. And this kind of, in a previous conversation, you said something about, um, this is the, the rise of the fitness professional. Um, and so I, I'm sure that you're going to connect this in. I want to talk about, cause I thought that was a really cool thing that you said in a way of looking at it. But before you launch into it, because it's all it's all related. So the lowest lowest barrier to entry ever. You said, hey, you know, you get yourself set up for $150 and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. However, what how do you feel about how that will evolve and what's um, what's not in place yet for a really good environment in 
in virtual digital training because it's like right now, you know, people are, or it's and actually started to tail off a little bit, but you know, you're like, Hey, welcome to my mom's basement right? with, you know, like it's kind of dingy and there's a couch over there in the corner that hasn't changed since 1978 and it's, it doesn't feel right. And so like, what do you think about where, how that's going to evolve in the next year or two? Sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, and, and I do a lot of consulting uh, with folks for IntelliVideo and they're a great video on demand service. And so I've, I've learned a lot listening to them and talking with them. And as I talk to clients that are looking to go into that world, I, I'm right there with you. I said, in the beginning of the pandemic, you had permission to screw up. People just wanted you and they knew you and they knew your product and they wanted to stick with your product. So they were willing to watch you, whether your cat was running across the gym or like say you're in some basement that is just dirty and gross with, you know, dust bunnies flying by. They didn't care. They just needed something. But as they were able to, and they'd never probably explored other online fitness options, but now they're starting to explore other online fitness options that that was their primary business model. So now you've got the primary business model and you've got yours. I'm not suggesting that you as an independent professional need to rise to the mirror, the Peloton, uh, the new Beachbody OpenFit platform. I, you don't have to rise to that production level because there's still going to be a reason why they want you to succeed. Your community, your tribe, they have a personal relationship with you and they want to feel connected to you. So, so you, you keep that heart string going, but you're going to have to come a little bit towards the middle. So what we're seeing is carve out a space in your house that is your your place, like you were showing me yours. Like this your is, stage. Got to have a stage and it's got to be clean. That's easy to do. It doesn't have to live like that forever, but very easy to, you know, put your logo up on the back wall and make it a clean white space. You get one light. You get good audio, whether it's, you know, you need a microphone and a mixer if you're an instructor for music and inputs, personal trainers, that's way easier. Just get a microphone. And then, I mean, the iPhone is still the best video source that there is. So I don't think you have to do a lot, but you can't just wing it anymore. We've got to come a little bit further to the middle where, you know, it's starting to look like this is your business. This is your, um, your, your main business, I guess I should say. You're not just doing it because you're stuck doing this for the time being. And that's the biggest shift I think we all have to have as fitness professionals. Um, this is the other controversial LinkedIn post that I put up. Fitness is not coming back like you knew it four months ago. It is forever changed. I don't care if there is a vaccine. I don't care if COVID all of a sudden poof is gone like some people seem to think is going to happen. Fitness ain't going back because by the time it does, consumer behavior will have changed so much that they don't want the product that you used to provide. They're not used to it anymore. They've adapted. They've moved on. They, they've had to deal with change because this isn't their livelihood, right? It's just something they do. So they're apt to change it more quickly. Or two, wherever you go back to work, they will have had to change the product because their business model isn't working anymore. So it might not be possible for you to go back to work there. So I leave that there. Um, I think it's very important to step up your game and treat this as the new normal, not just something that's getting you by with duct tape until your world comes back. And, and that'll help you start making different decisions, like what you start to invest in to do this online. I mean, I even spent like the whole weekend redoing my Zoom background, right? Because it just wasn't working for me anymore because now it was live and it was being recorded and it was being monetized. So yeah, we just have to start realizing this is the new normal um, and, and, and do a little bit of investing just like you would for any other thing that you've you know, ever tried to do with your career. Absolutely. And so with, so now let's shift because this, we, we did call this the, the, the hybrid future of business. And we're really talking about one side of it. So how do these things live together? Like how does the whole, if, if, if I'm, if I own brick and mortar, mm-hmm. and this has been part of what I do, and I know that a certain percentage of my, of my people are going to come rushing back or have already rushed back because I've opened up the doors and I've got another set that's maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. They're cautious. Um, maybe they're consuming me digitally, maybe they aren't. And then I've got another group who's like, hey, you know what? There's a reason no one in the world could buy fitness equipment for the last four months because it was all gone. I've set up my space and I kind of like the convenience of this. And they're going to stay in that world. Or maybe they'll go back and forth to some extent. They'll keep both like you referenced earlier about you know, people having multiple boutique memberships because they valued the experience they got in these different places. And so... Or, you know, I like the live gym, but how many times do we have people that can't make it? 
they don't come to they don't come to class because wow you know works I got a meeting this morning and then they blow it off completely. It actually gives them an opportunity to you know be more efficient and claw back that time in their day. So how does it all work together? If I've got this brick and mortar studio plus I've been treated with some people online, how does my model change? It's a great question, and I I don't know that I have a clear answer. Here's what I will say: I think you have to decide and. And again, I believe that and, when I say it's and versus or, I'm usually putting the consumer hat on. I think for the consumer, it's always going to be and. And not that they're necessarily all going to do both, but they're going to want to have both of those options because people are empowered by choice. That's one. So let's set that off to the side. When it comes to being a professional, I think first you need to evaluate. It goes back to the original question you asked me, like, how do you deal with change? Like you have to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I do believe there are going to be some trainers that are like, no, like this, this, this virtual thing's not for me. I just, I don't like it. I don't do it. And that's fine. Then you need to double down and get back to the live and figure out how to make that work. I do think that is riskier now than ever before, because again, I don't know how quickly it's ever going to go back to the way that it was, which might hamper you financially. We'll leave that alone. I think there's some people that are going to go, screw this. Like, I don't want to go back and put my eggs in the basket of a gym ever again because I just got laid off and furloughed for three months and was making more money on unemployment than I was at the gym. And I think they may dive into this virtual only because they don't have enough money to do bricks and mortar, which is cool. But to answer your question, you know, when I teach people business, I've always said, even before COVID, I'm like, you have to have at least three products. You need to have a low-touch product, a medium-touch product, and a high-touch product. Because right now, most fitness is high-touch. We are trading hours for dollars. And there are only so many hours in the day and so many days in the week, which means you are capped financially unless you figure out how to put more people in those hours or raise your rates. But you still, there is a still a, a math equation that limits how much you can make, right? And when you're working all those hours and trading dollars for hours, then you also don't have time to work on your business, which means you're just stuck in this hamster wheel, right? And that's that's why a lot of people just exit stage left in fitness. So I've always said you need to have, you know, you're always going to want to have IRL, whether that's one-on-one, one-on-a-few, or one-on-many. You're always going to want to have a high-touch product that you show up and you give yourself, and that is what you charge premium for. A medium-touch project now, product now that, that we're calling in COVID, this is the on-demand product that you have. You need to have something that you have either done live at some point online and you've recorded and now you can repurpose it, or an exercise library or programs on paper, right, a PDF. I don't care how high-tech or low-tech you are. You need something that's already in a package that people can consume without you being in front of them that they just pay for. Or I'm sorry, that's the low-touch. And then the medium touch is where they can interact with you one-on groups, but it's virtual, so it doesn't take as much energy, as much time, as much upkeep. So that to me is the hybrid. It's like you want to have these evergreen products that you can keep repurposing, that people can pay you money while you're asleep. Mm-hmm. You want to have things where you're at your home where you can less upkeep, uh, you know, less less planning, less time, less energy, and you can scale it. I can do a lot of people at once and then dabble in these high touch in real life and make this because here's the other thing I want to go back to like in real life training and online training are not actually as far apart as I think people think and I know we probably don't have time to get into the whole financial like how everyone raced to the bottom charging for this which just made me sad because if I'm training you I'm actually working harder online sometimes to train you than I am in real life whether it's teaching or training so it, there's got to be something else that you give them in real life that makes this the premium product, whether that's customization of your training plan or your product, or there's a community online that you're texting each other, or you're in a Facebook group together or something. But yeah, low touch, medium touch, high touch, and you price them accordingly and you start premium pricing this high. So you're not doing as much. I, I mean, you, you know, I teach this one workshop called exit strategy and usually people just thumb their nose at it because they're like, I'm going to train till I'm 97. I'm like, I hope not. Um, I mean, maybe as the hobby when you're 97 in your retirement home, but at some point, it's not going to be a viable career strategy to be training from 5 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. I know that sounds great when you're 20 and you're taking naps on the massage table, 
But when you want to have a family and you want to travel, you need to have those three things that I mentioned. So I hope that answers your question, but I think that's the way you put it together. Have the on-demand, have the live that's virtual digital, and then come back to IRL, but make it really, really worth your while to give someone an hour, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, one on a few, or one on many. Very cool. And there was a, there's so much in there that uh, I'm not even gonna remember. I, I thought of about like four things I wanted to hear you talk more about as we went along. If you were gonna start a business right now, you, mm -hmm. how would you structure it? I mean, we talked about, you know, now I know there's three different levels. We just kind of covered that. How would you, and, and the reason I'm asking this is for the people that are, you know, like, okay, I've got this, I've got, you know, this is what I could do. You know, either I was working at a gym, now I'm not, or yeah, they want me back, but I'm not going to be as busy. Or I had a gym, which is even scarier because, you know, I've got to figure out, I'm, I'm way more extended than the person who was working for me. If you were starting something right now, what would you start and what would it look like? Honestly, I think the least risky, if you have the appetite for it and you are predispositioned to want to lean into learning how to do it, would be some kind of virtual product. And there's lots of virtual products. I don't want that to scare you. Like it doesn't have to be Zoom training. That to me makes me want to vomit. Like I don't think that I would enjoy that. But I enjoy using Trainerize and training five people and sending out programs and texting them and seeing how it's going. And you know what I've actually done with Trainerize is I'm using other fitness apps that have workouts that I go through and I do myself that I put my stamp of approval on and or I send it to them and say, but when they do this, do this instead, right? That's me being the professional behind the product that's already available. And I mean, I'll say I do it with the Peloton app because most of the people that I know, they do have it. They took everyone up on that 90-day free trial. So I'm like, yeah. what? some great workouts on there. I want you to do these three days a week and then here are the two workouts I'm going to give you. And then, you know, my benefit is I can answer all your questions and help you customize the stuff that you're getting that's made for the masses, right? So I, I say that not to say that's a perfect business model, but just to say, don't think that, you know, diving into virtual means you, you've got to teach people via Zoom or teach people via Skype or stream on Facebook. It, there is still so much to be said for just providing workouts for people written down, right? So it may be as little as that, but but I would say I would I would dive into virtual, and even if I was just doing virtual, I would still try to adhere to this low, medium, high touch thing. So maybe the low touch is just hey, here you can access all of my pre-templated workouts choose which ones you want it's choose your own adventure mm. medium might be let's have a consult and then i'll tell you which ones you can and what to supplement with the apps that you've got and then high touch might be we have one-on-one -on -one consultations i fully customize a program for you we text every day i'm keeping your stats i'm you know getting you to weigh in or do whatever you do for assessment and then adapting your program to meet a goal so i still think you can do that low medium high touch but i i think and it doesn't mean that if you do virtual that you have to ignore potentially going back to work for a gym as long as they're okay with it. And that's a whole other conversation. They're going to have to be okay with it for a while because I think during this time, gyms have realized how important fitness professionals are. And I think we've realized how important we are. And gyms are going to hate me for saying this, but I kind of think everyone's realizing that people are going to come back not for a treadmill necessarily. I can buy a treadmill and finance it. I'm going to come back for you or I'm going to come back for me. I'm going to come back for the relationships and the experience and people create experiences. Fitness professionals create experience. So I think there's going to be a little give and take if you want to go back into the gym. Well, I think so. And I think that there's an opportunity for gyms to create, say you got a racquetball court that's not being used. You could create a couple different virtual studios, maybe up to three of them within that space and expand what your whole class offering is, whether it be personal training or a virtual group within, with a, under the brand umbrella of the gym, like allocating some of your square footage to that, I think is a big opportunity, but I'm gonna share what you say about it. They need to, mm -hmm. um, but why I keep saying it is the rise of the independent is, there's this great Amway video, I'll send you the link, maybe you can share it with everyone. I've been using this analogy for the last three years. It's, it's the ships and the fortress analogy. The problem that gyms have is, you know, during COVID, they went out on the ships. They're like, all right, let's go virtual. We got to do it because we are losing our ass. But the minute the gym opens back up, that represents the fortress and all of the standard operating procedures, all the normal day-to-day -day business. 
And they're still so consumed with protecting the fortress because we've got to get people back in and now we've got cleaning protocols and now we've got to find new members because lots of people have left. Like they're doubling down on the fortress and it's really hard to run a business that necessitates people in the ships and at the fortress. They don't have enough people. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have strategy people that can do that and figure out business plans to go forage new grounds and keep control of this one while it's shifting underneath their feet. So my hope for gyms is that they embrace the hybrid model as well because that's what consumers are going to expect. And if you're not delivering some kind of a hybrid model, they're going to get the digital somewhere else. They'll buy a Peloton to supplement at home or some other app or an individual at home. And then you're going to lose the retention, right? Because if they're only coming to your gym for a product, for a treadmill or a strap or, right, they're not going to stay just for the products that you have in the gym, especially when they have to keep doing reservations for the next 12 months to get in and then they get kicked out. Oh my God. So I, I hope that they'll do what you're saying. And I know a lot of good clubs here in the U.S. that are doing that, that I've been helping them um, with that. It's so great to see. Uh, but you, you've got to spend some time working on those uh, out in those ships. Um, and, and that's why I say rise of the fitness professional, because let's say you don't want to take on that risk yourself. I do think there's an opportunity for fitness professionals that see the power of this digital virtual world. And you can go into a club. This is my friend did this at a club in Wisconsin. She went in and said, you need to do this. I've got the business plan. I will do it for you. She created herself a new job. And they were more than happy to go. Great. You do it. So there is an opportunity if you feel more comfortable working for someone else in bricks and mortar and, and that's your happy place. You can also go in and, and you can create, you can write your own job. Now you have to do it in a really smart way as a business person with a business plan and what's it going to cost and what's going to be the ROI on that, et cetera. But um, it could be a great opportunity also to, yeah, to work inside of a club in a new way. Well, and that, I guess, is, is when we started off talking about this, um, that whole idea of if, if you can embrace whatever this changes as opposed to be resistant to it and be like, no, I don't want it to change, so it's not going to, which is, you know, kind of like the argument of, a, of you know, a, a young child, like, I don't want this, and so I, I don't want it. And so it's not going to happen. I'll speak it into existence. But as you said, the folks that are be like, okay, well, here's what I have. What could I do where I'm not losing my shirt, but where I can be actually open about the change and embrace whatever's happening so I don't get stuck underneath the wheels of progress, so to speak. That's amazing. All right, so I've got, I've got five and five. You ready? Here's where we get. We've got five questions in five minutes. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. So first of all, what are you most excited about or focused on in your own training right now? Oh, like working out wise? Yeah, like your own, like whatever, what are you, what are you working towards or what are you, what are you having fun with? Well, I'm getting old. So I am. Benjamin Button, you're going backwards. Totally. Myopically focused on strength training and restorative work. And I bless COVID for it because it's just something that I ignored um, when I was busy. And now I, I find the time to do both of those things. So strength training and restorative work. Awesome. Who or what are you most, are you currently inspired by most? Mm, fitness professionals that are bootstrapping it and doing the work. Cool. Um, if you had the whole day to yourself, you know, but unencumbered by anything that wasn't of your choice, what are you going to do? Oh, three things. I am going to ride my bike for a very long time. Mountain bike or road bike? Road bike. I only lost a little bit of respect for you there, but just a little because you live in Colorado. I'm just joking. <laughs> But I can't go as long on my mountain bike, right? Because the other thing, I can't listen to books on tape when I'm on a mountain bike. I have to concentrate. So on a road bike, I can just listen to books on tape the whole entire time. So two hours, three hours, get a snack in the middle somewhere at my favorite little shop in hygiene. And then I want to come home and I want to get in the bathtub and read more books and drink wine and go to bed really early in a room that has dark out shade so I can actually sleep past 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> You're dealing with uh, you're dealing with mountain time zone uh, and and the, and the longest day of the year. I understand. Um, so, is this is what you're doing right now? Is is I mean, we talked about all of these. You know, this this. I mean, you were accused of of uh, you know having a, an attention deficit uh, syndrome in terms of your career. Is this your life's work? What's next? Oh, good question. This is my life's work. I can't, um, maybe by the time this comes out, I will be 
in a position that is my culmination of my life's work that I'm super excited about. But it, it's in what I'm doing right now, which is centered around the rise of the fitness professional, advocating for the fitness professional and helping them be in control of their work because it is it is so important to the health vitality and the peace of the world. Like, yes, this is my work. Do you have anything exciting coming up by the person professional? Hmm. My birthday was last week. That wasn't very exciting because it's quarantine. I know. Uh, mine, was, mine was in May. I had the same kind of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, I'll say the mundane is refreshingly exciting for me because much like you, I've spent 20 years traveling 45 weeks out of the year and being on different continents every month and never having a schedule. I, I am so enjoying waking up at the same time every day, going to bed at the same time every night, being in the same place every day, running errands and doing carpool when it's possible and going to the lake every night. It's, I know that sounds so dumb, but I am really relishing um, the Groundhog's Day effect of COVID, which I know no one else is probably saying, but I am, I thrive in routine and it's, I didn't realize how non-routine I had become with my life, but um, it makes me very happy. I feel much more in control. So nothing really exciting except being able to do the same thing every day and wake up in my own bed. How long has it been since you've been on an airplane? Uh, my last thing was Idea PTI in March, the yeah. week or the lockdown longest I've been on a plane, even when I was in hospital bed rest for 73 days. But I love that I can do it and not lose my airline status. It's like double. Yeah, best of all worlds, isn't it? You know, we saw, we saw a, a jet stream the other day. And it was the first one I've seen in forever. I pointed out to the kids. They're looking up at like, huh, look at that. Isn't that cool? That's crazy. I was supposed to be on a plane today, but we decided it, it's just – not right with what's happening in the States right now with, with COVID popping back up. So, but you know, I, I am okay with that. Like I said, I'm, we're getting a lot of lake time in a lot of paddle boarding, a lot of dance moms on Netflix. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the summer for the first time in forever, which is a really cool thing to be able to say. That sounds incredible. How can people find you if they're looking for you? Yeah. Shannonfable.com or all my social media is S fable, like a story. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the TRX Procast. As a thank you, we'd like to offer you 30 days of free access to the TRX Training Club, which features hundreds of amazing workouts with some of the best trainers in the world. Get your access by the link in the episode description below.